Welcome, welcome to the Brett Boone Podcast. Explore the mind of MLB All-Star, Silver Slugger, and Gold Glove winner, Brett Boone, as he sits down with his friends from the world of professional sports. Now, now up to, to bat, Brett Boone. Welcome to the Boone Podcast. I'm Brett Boone, and today on the program, I sit down with my teammate from the 2023 Celebrity Softball Game in Seattle. We did it a couple weeks ago. Yes. Uh, yes. He's the star of Talk Soup, Community, The Great Indoors. Please welcome actor, comedian, and TV host, Joel McHale. Joel, thanks for coming on the program. Thank you, Brett. Uh, I look forward to not talking about anything in my career due to the strike rules. Correct. We, we won't. Um, I'm sorry about that. I'm sure. I know I warned you. <laughs> no, no, I understand that. And and I'm, I, I just want to do an overall basis of we're not going to get into the nuts and bolts of it. Well, I have lots of questions for you. So this works. I love it. No, that'll be great. That'll be easier for me, too. I won't have to be host. But you walk into the we did the celebrity softball game a couple of weeks mm-hmm. ago. And Joel walks into the locker room. I'm sitting there because I was so eager to get to get started with this softball game. I was the first one in there. Yeah, he was nude too. Everyone just just fully nude. In the- well, I did that. I did that for you. But Joe walks in, and I'll go. I go talk soup, and he looks at me, and he smiles, and he goes, "That was a while ago, Booney." Um, yeah. But I walk around life, and most people relate to me as Seattle Mariner. Mm-hmm. Once in a while, hey, I love watching you with the Reds. It's rare that people say it, but I remember you as a Padre. I was in, I was only there one year. Uh, my daughter, my my stepdaughter, last night. I'm picking her up from dance, and I tell her Joel McHale's coming on the on the show tomorrow. Oh. And she sees a picture of me, and she goes, "Spy Kids Four. Yeah. And I started laughing, and I said, "So everybody knows. Each one of us walks around life, and everybody knows us from a different. Now, if somebody came up to me and said, "Hey, Brett Boone, you're that guy that does a podcast. That would be really strange for me, but." You, Joel McHale, walking around life. What's what's the most you hear? I know from guys my age, you're going to hear talk soup because we we watch it all the time. It went Kinnear, Hanson, and then McHale yep. as as the big ones. Uh, Aisha from Tyler, talk soup. Aaron Abish. Aisha, uh, Aisha Tyler. I do I'll remember start. that she was brief though. Yeah, she was she brief. Was, uh, yeah, and that was kind of the end of the uh, talk shows that were on uh, endlessly. I mean, chat, you know, like the Donahue's and the Sally, Jesse Raphael's, which covered the nineties. And then, and then it became reality. Uh, no, I think most people remember me from my, my one year on the Padres as well. That's the weird part. And, uh, I was, you were, you were good. Thank you. And I dressed as a, you know, Spanish priest from, uh 1750 which uh was pretty cumbersome and hot it was a lot of wool i i regret it and i think i could have been a better player uh yeah i don't uh yeah it depends if i when i do stand up uh the, a lot of if if it's a if it's women in their 40s and 50s they they were fans of the e-show and if it's teenagers and people in their 20s then it's fans of community and then there'll be one fan of uh, great indoors because no one really remembers that. Uh, I got to work with the great uh, Stephen Fry uh, and uh, genius. And then, um, yeah, now like kids. Well, now they're older. I don't know how old your stepdaughter is, but they remember Spy Kids. And uh, yeah, and that was a brief. That, that was just a quick shoot in Austin, and it was it was. I mean, yeah, you just never know. It's it's kind of like. Uh, 
I don't know. I feel like a plumber or uh, like a doctor who just has all his instruments in a truck, just ready at any point to uh, pull one out and go, oh, yeah, I got a pipe for that. Here it is. And um, yeah, so it's it's been it's interesting. And now I'm on the show, The Bear. Again, I don't know if I can talk about any of this, uh, but now everyone that's uh, all of a sudden that one is poking its head up. So uh, I'm extremely fortunate, Brett Booney, is what I'm saying. It's very cool. And I know, you know, notwithstanding the, the, the error you made in the softball game, oh. you were you were a football player. You were a rower. You went to the University of Washington. Yeah, You're on the football team. You were. You were part of that uh, 93 Rose Bowl. Uh, yes. You dub team. Yeah. Um, but as a kid, okay, I remember as a kid, since I, I, since I have any memories at all, all I was doing, I was throwing a tennis ball against, against my grandpa's garage door because nobody else would play catch with me. It was getting dark. That's all I ever wanted to do. My dad, obviously, you know, my family did what they did, but it wasn't something that was, you're going to be a baseball player. You got to do this. You got to No, It's just something that organically, that's all I ever knew. That's all I ever wanted to do. You asked me from 12 years old in seventh grade. And I went to the, you know, to the counselor to talk about my high school, what I was going to take in high school and what I wanted to do. And it was, uh, I'm going to be a baseball player. It's already been done. I don't know why you're asking me this stupid question. Joel McHale growing up. Oh. what do you want to do? I wanted to be Brett Boone and the, <laughs> was like who is Brett Boone? We're, we're a similar age they're like who is he and i'm like believe me this guy sometime hear about him <laughs> that's right he's i got a, a time like, i got a time machine you got an imaginary friend named brett boone he's not imaginary and stop talking about him that way <laughs> it was i was thrown out of school um i knew very early on that i wanted to be an actor i wanted to be a performer i loved it and uh, I was in a production of, in second grade, first grade, in uh, Haddonfield, New Jersey, just outside of Philadelphia. And uh, Haddonfield. I know that. I was Medford, New Jersey kid now. I know Haddonfield. Right near Cherry Hill. And Yes. Uh, we only lived there for two years. But we did a staged version of It's a Small World, which is the ride at Disneyland. Yes, that's how much Disney had infiltrated public schools that you could, they're like, we're putting on a show. What is it? Chekhov? Nope. Sondheim? Mm-mm. No, this is a, a play made, you know, made up from a ride, which I had to give them credit. And uh, so it was like, a, a, I, and I tried out for every part uh, because no one else really wanted to. And um, I was like six different parts in this show. And my parents were like, well, that was unexpected they said i was so happy and anyway uh in seventh grade i was like i'm this is what i'm gonna do uh this is what i'm gonna do i can't read or write so uh entertainment seems the next logical course uh but like you i mean all i wanted to do was play sports so uh, uh if if a ball sports same thing where i just I would get up like at 6 a.m. and just go shoot hoops and uh, because I wanted to be good, you know, on the team and stuff. But um, but but in the back of my mind, it was always acting and performing. And I just thought I'm not going to be good at anything else. So uh, I should really I'm just going to go for this ridiculous, wonderful career. And 
uh, yeah, so that's that's really all I ever wanted to do. And it, when I got to seventh grade, I started doing plays a lot. And I had these two friends that were really integral in like helping me get there. And I'm still friends with them today. And then I have this other friend who uh, his name's John, and also and well, he's also an ex- great musician. So we we were this we were this little band in high school that of people that we played sports and acted. So uh, we we were thick as thieves. So it, we protected each other, and and uh, it was yeah, it was a good time. Everyone's always like high school was so rough. I'm like I was well protected by my friends, and we got to do a bunch of cool plays and play sports so uh i know that's not everyone's experience but it, it was very i don't know what i would have turned out like but it was super fun and I, after that i was just like i'm keeping this going yeah mm-hmm. that's what you know when i when i went off on my journey and i you know i go to college and then i sign and the easiest thing for me was getting to the big leagues it was the easiest the toughest part was staying is, is there something similar? Is that similar in the Hollywood world? I mean, to, to get that first shot, but to yeah. the staying, the staying power is where you kind of separate from everybody else of, yeah, that guy that did that one show that one time or a guy that's had a 25, 30 year career. I, yeah. Now <laughs> when you say it was easy to get into the major leagues, you, you were just, you were an excellent player, obviously. And they, Teams were like lining up to come get you. Well, I think I think it I think it was naive. It was naivety on my part, if that's even a word. I went in. I I honestly went into to my college career thinking, all right, I'm here to you know what do I need? I need a 2.0 to stay eligible. I know that. Just keep yeah. me on the field. My junior year in college, I was predicted you know projected to be this number one pick. I ended up going in the fifth round. I and, and I was absolutely floored at every step that I took into the big list. And I said, these guys are crazy. What do you think in taking me in the fifth round? My dad's kind of laughing at me. Like, what are you going to do? Change it? Are they going to go back and redo the draft? Cause you're not happy with your position. I went to the minor leagues. I got, <clears throat> I went through my short season in a ball. Double a was, a, you know, I, I'm an all-star in double a. I'm an all-star. Now it's time to go to the big leagues. And I said, just get me to the big leagues. This is where I've been telling everybody, let's go. I get called to the big leagues. It's no big deal. I get my first base hit. Randy Milligan, if you remember, is the first baseman for the Baltimore Orioles, standing on first. They throw in the ball, you know, your first hit, my first at bat. And he turns to me and he goes, <clears throat> he goes, Brett Boone, he said, congratulations on your first hit. You got 2,999 to go. <clears throat> and I remember being 22 years old, looking at him, being polite. But in my brain going, is this guy crazy? I'm going to get way more hits than that. That's how my brain was. Now, fast forward, humble pie was coming my way, and it came often. And I have, you know, when when I talk to people about my career or, or sports in general, it's it's ups and downs. You grow up, you get your ass kicked, and you get back off the mat, and you do it again. So I think it was a combination of – yeah, I was better than the next guy, but at the same time, I was in my brain, I was naive. I mean, I had no clue what was about to hit me, but I think in the end, it served as a positive for me because I truly believe the toughest thing in sports to do is trick your brain. You can talk a good game when the when the boys gather around and you're holding court, you can tell people what they want to hear. But when you go back home and you're in that and you're in that motel six in A ball. And it's you in the mirror. Do you believe 
the crap you talk on the field. If you do, the guys that I see now, young players that really believe what they say, I want those guys. Yeah, they're gonna get they're gonna get humbled, they're gonna get knocked down, but those guys truly believe it. Yeah. Do you think? I don't know. Sometimes I'm like, well, I look at because I watch a lot of tennis now, and, and I see like all these guys are. I mean, and I mean, all the men and women, they're all insanely skilled athletes. There's right. no doubt. But then one or two percent can push just above that for the mental game and win more matches, even though they have skill. They all have these insane skill levels. Would you say that was true in baseball or would you say there is a gap between different some a huge gap between athletic ability and uh and with, with just physical athletic ability or would you say it's close well i think you you have to be born with a certain there's a bare minimum of a certain level to play at the highest level i've seen guys that are triple a players and are solid players and they get to the big leagues and it's too fast for them yeah it's just that one notch up is just too fast for your skill set now, obviously, there's different levels of a skill set. You know, a LeBron James, a Ken Griffey Jr., a Mike Trout, yep. they're at the top of the skill set. But then there's players that that have good careers, and they bear, they have that bare minimum to play in the NFL, to play in the NBA, to play in Major League Baseball. But I found once you have that certain criteria, if you meet that, now it's all a mental game. Yep. Because it, I can't tell you how many guys that I played with in AAA, and I'd watch them, i go, wow. This guy's going to be good one day. You never hear from him again. And then you have the guys that you thought, mm, you know, re real questionable on. I, I don't think he's got enough. And the next thing you know, you see him having really good career. So, yeah, to answer your question, there's definitely a minimum of fast twitch muscle fiber that you have to have to yep. play at the top level. But the mental, the mental and the preparation, the discipline uh, really separates the 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 good player from the the big league player and then you get yep. you get into that there's different there's there's the big league player there's the big league all-star there's the big league superstar so it's all it's all different levels but yeah i found that it, when they stack the decks up and that's what they used to tell me because i grew up as this kid running around veteran stadium in philly you know and all my dad's team my he i'd go to work with dad and it was pete rose and steve carlton and and uh you know, guys like that, it was no big deal to me. And and I grew up on big league fields. But when I got to the big leagues as a player, different animal. You know, and everybody thought, well, you this isn't a big deal for you. You grew up here. Yeah, I grew up here as a kid being a pain in the ass probably to everybody. Now it's my job. And if I don't do my job, I get fired. So it was different. Right. It, it was different for me. The minor getting, I don't know, because I have no experience in this, but it's almost like, being a being in a rock band playing the local pub and then going to a huge venue in front of 50,000 people going to Carnegie Hall you know there's yeah. got to there's there's a difference because when you step on a big league field and you just did to play in that softball game yeah for a softball game we're having fun it was no big deal but you'll notice it's different than going to the park with your buddies and playing in a softball game it's spacious there's something about a big league stadium that that really can't be replicated. Right. No, I, yeah. And it's, it seems like it's, you're doing a high wire act all the time. And anytime, I mean, when you're at the level that you guys were at, where it's like, there's guys that stay in the league for 20 years. And then there's other guys that are like, uh, yeah, he played two games and it just, you know, 
didn't click. <laughs> it wasn't right. And that is insane to me. Uh, and so it just like at any moment, the plate stopped spinning. And I, I yeah. How many league, how many years were you in the league? 14. 14, which is a very long career. Right. And then I look at other guys that played 19 and I go, wow, it seemed like I played a long time. You played 19 years. And then there's guys, Nolan Ryan pitched in 27 seasons. Uh, so that to me is like different level. Yeah. You're a pitcher. You can last longer, but to play that long, double yeah. the time I played essentially. And I felt like I played forever. Uh, it blows my mind. You, you know what? The thing that's fascinating to me is, is the comedy getting on stage. What you, what you do. So as much as you, you're thinking, you know, me, the athlete and, and what that's like, I reverse it. And I go, I couldn't imagine going on stage, you know, cause I think I have a decent sense of humor, but actually being funny for a living and having to entertain this crowd mm. and looking out there and going, they're not laughing. What do I do that for the average person? That's, that's absolute the biggest nightmare in the world. Um, I don't know. Take me through that. How do you get started? What's your first time you go on stage and just kill it and go, yeah, this is kind of natural for me. I, I do it. I, that uh, to me is like a Rubik's cube. I couldn't do it. Boy, uh, but it's like, uh, well, it's all I ever wanted to do. So there's that. So, you know, it's that, that similar uh, nerve, which is constantly firing in my brain is telling, you know, because that's all I ever wanted to do was perform and make fart jokes. And, you know, so it's pretty sophisticated stuff. Uh, I, uh, I really sowed my oats, not sowed my oats, but I really cut my teeth, uh, at the market theater in Seattle where, uh, they do theater sports and I was on stage like four nights a week for years. And I was also doing plays, but I was every, I got so comfortable on stage to really explore and not worry about not getting nervous in front of crowds. And, and so that's where that started. And it's, I, because I was a terrible student and, you know, like I, I, I wanted to get out of college as fast as I possibly could because I, I was like, I just want to be in plays or in TV. Uh, that's where I, you know, gravitated to. And so, the, uh, you know, like I didn't start doing stand up until 2004. Uh, so I did a lot of improvising and a lot of acting, but it wasn't until The Soup became somewhat popular that I could, at the end of The Soup, go, I'm going to be in... Um, you know, and I'm going to be in North Dakota. Come see me at the, uh, I don't know, the, uh, the, the rotary rec center. And that's when I started. So I got, I kind of backed into stand up because everyone was a fan of the show who showed up to my show. So I didn't have the same experience as like a road comic who really, uh, you know, like cut their teeth in front of strangers. And it wasn't until, after the soup really kind of uh, stopped being a show, then all of a sudden people were showing up to, I was booking comedy clubs and theaters and it was people who had never seen the show. So that all of a sudden I was like, oh, I'm not a very good stand-up." And then once, once I kind of let go of all the soup stuff, 
and I started doing tons of other material, that's when I was like, okay, you're okay at this. You've gotten better. And now you can defend yourself in front of, uh, in front of strangers and old people and young people. And, you know, just like practicing anything, if you're halfway decent at it, if you, the more you do it, which I've done now thousands and thousands of times, the more comfortable you are and the more you can get a good read on an audience and you can adjust the show and try new material and use old material to get them. But it's, it's, I see it. It's like a game where you're like, all right, well, we have these many quarters and we have to, you have to fill up that time. And, or you have, you have to b b make sure you score this many times because uh, be, or they're going to kill you. So uh, I, then I, you know, that I don't know how you feel when you were on the field, but then all of a sudden I find myself, I mean, I enjoy it endlessly. I don't, I don't enjoy the travel as much anymore, but when I finally step on stage, it is, so I am, I can finally kind of calm down and it's great. I mean, I can relate a little bit to, to getting on a stage and giving a, you know, speaking on something. Well, that's easy because especially if you're in my wheelhouse and talking sports and talking preparation, that's that's easy for me. Mix a joke in once in a while. Hopefully people laugh. Uh, but my my job isn't to make them laugh for somebody no. for somebody like you ever go into a. Uh, a gig. Let's go back to the beginning when you're first starting to do this. You have great material. You kill it. You you delivered it. You didn't. Uh, in your mind, you're going. I couldn't. I I couldn't had a better show tonight. Crowd goes crazy. Next night, you do the same show. Different crowd. You did just as good a job on your end. You didn't get the same reaction. And in your mind, going, what the hell's wrong with these people? You ever get that? Oh well, every crowd is different. And yeah. yeah absolutely. Like, uh, and I have made jokes. I'm like. I would, I would be like, this is really good material. Guys. <laughs> this uh, is great. Yeah. This, this is pretty a level stuff that I'm throwing at you. Uh, <laughs> so I'll, I'll make jokes like that. And if, if the crowd is really, I've only had a few shows where the crowd, you know, is going to run me off stage. And uh, there's definitely a learning experience to that and not all show. And then there's shows where you can, it's fun. Like if I do two shows on a Friday, you can feel how tired people are in the second show. It's very, it's a typical thing for comics because these people have been working all day. They go to dinner with their girlfriend or boyfriend. They have drinks. They get, they show up for the second show, which starts like at 10 and usually they're going to bed at that time. And all of a sudden this show starts and my friend, like the different comics that I tour with, We'll be like, how do they seem? They're like, they're tired. I'm like, okay, good. That means we just have to work. We just have to work a little harder, and we have to muscle it through a bit. And then once in a while, it turns into magic, and they wake up. And other times, it's like, hey, if I'm interrupting you guys going to bed, then just get out of here. You're good. Uh, but that's that's one example of Friday night shows. But um, yeah, it's. Uh, I I find it endless. I mean, you know, your my job is to go out there and make. I, they're being, I'm being paid to make people laugh. So if I don't do that, I'm like, well, sorry about that. We'll get them, We'll get you next time. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's for stand-up comedy specifically. But uh, but and so I yeah, I find it fun. Like I've got a gig coming up in at Cornell University 
for the new students. And so I'll write a bunch of material for that specifically for them and for their parents. And it will uh, hopefully it'll work. And then I'll put in a bunch of my old stuff, not old stuff, but the newer stuff that's more general. And so I, I just have to plan out the attack and how and, and then, you know, I'm usually on stage for an hour and 10 to 20 minutes, which I get, which I'm always like comedy don't stand on stage too long leave before leave them wanting a little more and not like okay thank thank you so much i think i think i think you the point you made though when you said you know i'll I'll sit there sometimes and if they're just not responding i'll tell them you know this is really good shit you should be listening that would be great if i wouldn't know what that is though because i'm not that funny but if I knew in my mind it really was top grade and they weren't laughing, I would love to say that to a crowd. Like, do you do you have any idea who you're listening to here and how yeah. good this is? And you can't get this anywhere else. I think yeah, it'd be great well, if I, if you knew you were good. But for for me, I couldn't say it because it's like I, I probably suck at this. Well, Sport. go ahead. Yeah, no, no, I'll be like, I'm having a good time. I don't care what you guys are doing. <laughs> this is fun for me. I'm killing it. Yeah, it's always good as a comedian to point out how well you're doing. Um, no, I, I suppose in baseball, if like you keep completely connecting with the ball, but it's just it's just perfectly placed to the left fielder, or they're just barely catching up to them. You're like, that was a really well struck ball. Fuck. Yeah, I mean it's good abs. In in my world, it's like I'm gonna get I'm gonna get cheered every night. I'm gonna get booed every night. And it's going to roll into the next night. I got 162 of these. Yeah. So after, you know, you get a little experience, crowds don't affect you. You know, you come into hostile territory, you don't care. That guy's going to be talking about my mom and when I'm hitting. That's why I get pissed at golf tournaments when they're with the quiet police sign. I said, why is it quiet police? Why are they allowed to talk about my mom when I'm hitting? But we got to be quiet on your gentleman's game of golf. I think that's changing a little bit with Liv. They're bringing that edge to it. But as an athlete, this is just part of the gig. And there's very few times where I've been disrupted by a crowd's hostility or vice versa, a standing ovation. It's just what we do. You go into a different world and you play. And some days you suck and some days you're good. You try to stay away from the years where you suck. And I've had a few of those. And believe me, I'm like anybody else. I've had years in Cincinnati where I'm sitting under the stadium after a game in the dark by myself going, why can't I hit anymore? And and it's an unbelievable thing. And the lengths you go to and the video and the things you try. Uh, so, yeah, I, it's and, and I was talking early about the humble pie and, and going through this unbelievable gauntlet for years and years. It's like, I've had years where I'm at the top of the mountain and it's great. But by that point in my life, I had, I'd been, I'd had some, some rough years and I thought, you know, I'm not, I'm really going to enjoy this, but I'm also going to keep in mind, I appreciate how hard it is to be at the top of this mountain. And it doesn't just happen every year. So there's a, there's a lot of humility to, to, especially after you've been in the game, you you come, you break onto the scene and there's not real, really that much humility because you got there so quick and everybody's telling you how good you are. They break you down a little bit after a few years. So there, there becomes that humility. There's not too many guys I've played with that at some point don't have that humility, but it's, it's growing up. It's, it's part of life and anything you do. um, How much for, 
how much in your life did sports play a role as far as trans translating into the Hollywood side? Oh, uh, immensely for me. Uh, well, what I was going to say was just there are there were a time, like once community and the soup were finished, like I was like, oh, I don't have a job. What am I going to do? And that was one of those like sitting in the dark, staring in the mirror, going, what, what, what's happened? What am I doing? Like a dick. Cause I did the soup for 12 years and then I got on a sitcom that I thought was great and then didn't do well. Uh, actually it did okay, pretty well, but it didn't come back. And so I'm like, oh, what's, what's going to happen? What are we doing next? And so, uh, I think if you, from what I've learned, if you stay in the marathon, if you keep, if you keep the race going, you eventually start speeding up again and it comes back, uh, or people leave and that's that. Uh, but I, I am, I, I don't, I'm, I don't think I'll ever leave. I think I'll probably drop dead on stage. Uh, when I, hopefully when I'm, you know, 106, but, uh, with, as far as sports and entertainment go, I would say the entertainment business is very, is similar in a way that it is extremely competitive out here. And it always, I mean, and before I had anything going, there were 25 guys ahead of me to get the next job and who were becoming stars. And there was all, we're all there's still to this day, there's always new people coming up and it's not like you got to beat them. It's just that you're all in the game. And, uh, I also learned, well, so, so there, the competitiveness is crazy. And if, if people get, you know, if they're just insanely skilled actors, then they, you know, and they have a lot of success, then they're going to be offered all sorts of stuff. But, um, I learned playing football on the Huskies. That was where I really learned my work ethic. I was like, these guys work so hard. We're practicing twice a day. They're going to school. Then they're studying at night and watching tape at night. And then they travel and they have these gigantic games and the pressure of the entire state or Western Washington is upon them. And then they do the same thing week in and week out and try not to turn their knee inside out and so i i was like oh as if you if you put in it basically it's like three full-time jobs and that i was like that is the level of commitment i have to make to try and get this career you know to make my career so i was like i'm not the most talented but i will outwork you uh in you know when it comes to acting I will. I'll, I'll put in the effort more than that was kind of that was like I'll make up for it with uh, chutzpah. Any any similarities between a coach and a director? Well, uh, yeah. I mean, in a yeah, I would say. I mean, they're in they're in control, and it's their vision, and it's their they know. It depends on the director. Some directors don't, ha they don't have any idea what they're going for. And that makes for a very long day. Uh, and then there's other directors that are, they know exactly what they want. And when they get what they need and they've already edited the scene in their brain, uh, then you can move on and it's collaborative. Um, I'm lucky cause I've never really been with a director. I mean, you hear about these directors that have power, that, that do power 
control and they're intimidating and manipulative. I'm lucky I haven't worked with uh, folks like that because there's there's those those uh, legends are rampant. I mean, I think with the Me Too movement, it's thankfully calmed down a bit. But most of the directors are their collaborators, and yeah, they have the vision and uh, and you yeah you just want the Lou Pinella. You want the guy that uh, yeah, that that's uh, getting caught on camera smoking every ten minutes. Uh, but uh, uh, you want you want the leader that uh, you feel like oh I'm I feel like this boat is going in the right direction. We're going towards Hawaii, so we'll be fine as long as we can just get there. What do you think? You have you had coaches that you're like oh. This person doesn't know what they're doing. They are disorganized. And Without a doubt. Most. Wow. Most. You know, the, the, the biggest fallacy and, and the thing I laugh about in the game of sports is, tip, you know, fan base. If the team isn't hitting, what's the first thing they're going to say on Twitter? They need to fire the hitting coach. People don't realize hitting coach really has nothing to do with it. Hitting coach is a glorified psychologist. I, I've worked with so many hitting guys in my life, and, and there's a – I can count them on, well, I can count them on three fingers. The people that could actually help me get a hit. Mm-hmm. If if the peanut lady, the hot dog salesman could help me get a hit, I'd be with them. That's how, when you get to the big leagues and I get frustrated with it, it's like these guys are big league hitters. They Once you get into the box, nothing's going to help. You can do all the physical. All I asked from a hitting instructor was, to be there, to work early, and and once in a while, if you can come up with something that can just release something in my brain. I've had one. I don't, I don't know if you remember uh, in the early 2000s, you mentioned Lou Pinelli. He had a guy named uh, uh, Lee Elia, who was also a coach with my father in Philly in the 70s. Wow. He, he, was, a, he was our part-time hitting coach. And once in a while, he'd come up to me. I'd be sitting on the bench and I'm working, you know, I got the bat and I'm gripping it. And I have that look on my face, obviously, like I'm lost. Hey, Booney, how you feeling? At Lou, or uh, not Lou, Lee, how do you think I'm feeling? You've been watching me the last two games? And I've shared this story before. He'd say something to me like, remember two weeks ago when we were in Texas and you did that thing with your top hand? I'd look at him and I'd go, yeah. And he goes, why don't you try that? And he'd walk away. Now, all of a sudden, I have hope. For my next at bat, where I was dead, I was dead in the water. I've got no clue. I don't know what's going. So it's little things like that that you know, coaches don't help you. I I, I laugh at these at kids with parents. They're going to send them to this guru, this pitching guru, this hitting. It's irrelevant. We we discussed early. There's certain people that are predetermined to play at the top level. You have to have that skill set. Now, once you have that skill set, how do you learn? You don't learn at these camps. You learn from trial and error. You learn from repetition. You learn from going in the cage for hours and hours on end until your knuckles bleed. And you try this and you try my top hands here, my bottom hand here. I'm open. I'm closed. I'm doing this right before the pitch comes is released. Um, And that, oh, I think that's it. I think that's it. I'm going to take that into the game. Up, oh, that didn't work. Back to the drawing board. That's how you learn. And that's how we all learn. And these, these camps and this. It's great if you get to play more games, 
But that's not how we learn. We learn through trial and error from getting our butt kicked, get up and try something else until whatever works for you. It's very individualistic. Yeah. There's a lot of guys that go about it a different way. We get to the same point when that ball's in the hitting zone. All of us, Edgar Martinez is going to start with his hands up here. I'm going to start down here. When that pitch is in the hitting zone and we're right, we're going to be at very similar spots. But how we get there is completely different. And that's part of the journey. And that's part of the what keeps you going. Like, there's got to be something. There's got to be something I could be better. I can do this. I can do that. And it's that nonstop quest. I had some young, uh, as a young player, I had guys that took me under their wing and kind of taught me the ropes, the basics. Uh, that was helpful. That's the thing for me too, is interesting in your business. When you were breaking in, when you were that young kid hungry and just wanting to do it all, wanting to be an entertainer, was there anybody in particular that, that mentored you, that took you under their wing and said, all right, Joel, you want to do this? I'm going to teach you. Did, 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 did yeah. you have somebody like that? Tino Martinez, ironically. <laughs> I couldn't he's, got, believe it. he's got four rigs. It's incredible. Yeah. So he, uh, he did a lot of Stanislavski. Uh, he did a lot of breath work with me. No. Uh, breathing, by the way. Breathing. Good. Good. Breathing. It's a good thing. I mean, uh, yeah. No, well, when I walk on stage, I'll be, I, you, I just take a deep breath and I was, uh, I'll either say something like, well, here goes nothing or, fuck all these people and then i'll walk out and uh not in a mean way but in a eh, what are you gonna do now we just gotta now we just gotta have a good time because we've tried we i've done every i've done all the work up to now so you might as well just uh might as well just let it all go um i've had a number of mentors and people that you know actors are sensitive people and you know they got we all we want is to and we want people to like us um and all that crap but i would say growing up there was a like i was part of this thing called the ensemble in high school which was just a group of actors that would get together every monday night and we had uh a couple teachers peter donaldson matt smith uh they and matt smith still teaches i think peter donaldson still teaches but that allowed us to every night and during the week just fuck up just uh do things wrong and do things uh strangely and try things out and then uh i got extremely lucky because i got on the show almost live when i was in college and there was a number of people basically the entire cast took me under their wing and uh and and with the immediate pressure of being on live television and i can't read i'm super dyslexic the pressure of that uh they took such good care of me if i were on snl i probably would have been fired in the first 10 minutes uh and it so that they really took care of me and I could be on Seattle television and really screw up, not be great. I was okay sometimes. And by the time I got down to Los Angeles, uh, I had some experience on camera. So then when like one of the first roles I booked and I got very lucky was on Will and Grace and you know, the pressure of there, the live audience, you've got all these people, you've got, 
these extremely famous people who are starring in the biggest show on television. And, uh, you know, like, I remember going like, oh, okay, I'm ready for this. This is what I want to do. This is exactly how this, and people were like, were you nervous? And I was like, strangely wasn't, I because I was having such a good time. And uh, I was, I felt definitely ready. I mean, sure, I didn't, couldn't get an agent or book a job for like three more years, but still, uh, that's a very long way of saying, uh, you know, yes, there were like the cast of Almost Live, a couple of teachers at uh, Market Theater, and they really took care of me. And, you know, because you got a big glute of a guy that thinks he's an actor, and it just, it just takes a long, it just takes, yeah, it's a, a lot of two steps forward, one step backward. In our respective occupations, there was a moment I had, uh, 1993, and I'm playing for Lou, and, and man, we, we start off on the wrong foot, and we're just at each other's throat, and he sends me to the minor leagues, and he's back to the big leagues and back to the minor leagues. But there was a time at the end of the 93 season, we're in Minnesota, I'll never forget it. And now things are starting to get better. They're starting to click. I'm starting to play well. And Lou's starting to kind of be nice to me, which was, which was rare in those days. But I remember when Minnesota, it's a blowout game. We're winning by eight or nine runs. And it's like the sixth or the seventh inning, and, and Lou took, takes me out of the game. He said, Booney, you're done for the day. Go take a shower. And I remember going and taking a shower, and Griffey and Buner got taken out of the game at the same time. And those guys were my guys. I mean, they were established players. And I'm sitting there taking a shower with these guys thinking, I've arrived. I got taken care of. Lou took me out of the game because I'm his guy. And he's going to save me from our I, – I remember that was the greatest shower I ever took. Because finally, after all this, you know, back and forth, and it's like, I'm here. I'm a big leaguer now. It took that long before I felt like that. And uh, did you have a moment in your career where you thought, I've done it. I'm arrived. I, I arrived. Uh, boy, good question. Uh, well, I took a shower with Jay Buhner and, and Griffey Jr. Which, was, t was Tino there? Uh, Tino was there. He, uh, he was wearing a robe, ironically. I, I guess he was a little embarrassed. Uh, yeah, no, let's see. I'm trying to think there of, you know, I'm trying to think. Yeah. I mean, when I, it's like, have I arrived? Like every when time you I, look at, when you come home and you look at your wife and your wife gives you that smile, like we made it. Was there that moment? Oh, no, I can fill myself with, oh, you're right on the verge of this all ending. You are an imposter. Which isn't and, a bad thing, though. Yeah, no, it just keeps me, uh, I, that, that's when I feel like uh, the roadrunner, just running, just constantly uh, wanting to do the next thing. Um, you know, when I did, uh, when we were doing Community, and we got like our second season. I was like, okay, this thing is freaking working. And I, I don't think, you know, it was still the second season. It's still like, I mean, because when the pilot got picked up, this one writer was like, I was, she was like, 
congrats. Now just find a way to get, you know, finish, finish your, finish out your first season without getting canceled. I'm like, Oh, right. Yeah, that can happen. Anything can happen. And, uh, I'm trying to think of, I think when Morgan Freeman walked up to me and said, hi, Joel, like I have moments like that where I'm like, Oh, hi. Or when I was in a Steve, a scene with Steve Martin, where I was like, I don't know what the hell I did right, but I'm staring at Steve Martin talking to him in this scene. Uh, or like being in the informant where it got directed by Steven Soderbergh and I'm with Matt Damon and I was just like, what happened? How did this all happen? Right. This is good. Or when I did the White House Correspondence Dinner. Oh, I want to hear about that. Yeah, that was one where I was like, this is nuts. I can't believe it. I can't. Like looking out into the audience was like looking out into a wax museum of famous people. Yeah. And I was like, this is the audience. And I was like, yeah, there's Robert De Niro. There's that Dos Equis guy that was everywhere 10 years ago. Hey, there's Russell Wilson. There's Richard Sherman. And, you know, and they were brand new. They were having won the Super Bowl. They, were, they had just, they were going into winning the Super Bowl. And uh, I remember just thinking like, what has happened? And there's like, here's freaking Obama and uh and he's telling jokes and ta- and saying my name I mean I was just like what happened how did I, how did this all happen so those were those were mountaintop moments definitely that that seems to be pretty awesome you prepare differently for that I mean you've you've oh, done yeah. the stand up a million times been on camera a ton but you're doing yeah. a correspondence dinner it's like well this is a little more of an important engagement yeah here. uh the it is that I've never been nervous since on stage. Uh, I've never that it burned out any nerve I ever had left to be any because the amount of pressure that's on you in that moment is pretty high. Then the you you wait. I mean, you do all this meeting and greeting. You go meet the president in a private room with like a hundred other VIPs and there's like De Niro and Zoe Dashanel and the cast of Modern Family. And they're like, it was, and then like every pro athlete. Uh, and so the buildup, uh, so the, uh, here's how I prepared. Like there, I was like, give them 15 minutes of jokes. Don't go too long. Then when you, well, then you get up there and Obama goes up first. The president goes up first and he was an amazing joke teller so he always kills and he had done it for a number of years by then and i was like dear lord this we knew he was going to be good and so what i did to prepare and i asked jimmy kimmel i asked seth myers uh i had conan o'brien and uh uh craig ferguson i asked all these guys i was like how did you do tell me what you did and they all rehearsed their jokes like they were rehearsing a play like they had i i just had those jokes i could i could almost have told you the jokes by heart uh because i had practiced them so many times and i had friends that i would just do the material over and over and over and so i would do these like mini shows of like here's this 15 minutes and so when i finally got up there i knew what i was doing it was not there wasn't a lot of uh you know question as to where i was going with the material it was 
it was just getting to the point where I was could calm down, not talk too fast, take my time. And and so I got when I stood up, I had like a dizzy spell and I was just like, oh, you're nervous. OK, well. That's you got that's it. You better go tell some jokes now. And uh, and it's also you're the last to perform of the night and they're, you're the one thing keeping everybody in that room away from their after parties. So it's like the president and then you and you have to get them good. And uh, so I, I was, uh, you know, I know my, my parents were in it, but the night before I was, I mean, yeah, it was, it was, I've never been in that situation again, but it was, it was bananas. And then I got completely ill afterwards. And everyone's like, because my son was vomiting, almost vomited on the president. He was sick. And we're like, that's weird. Maybe he has food poisoning. And then my wife got sick. We all started getting sick. So it wasn't like, it was a big letdown after that because the energy really, and I was like, no, 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 we got ill. We had like the norovirus or neurovirus. So uh, yeah, anyway, so that was, I'll never forget it. It's almost 10 years ago. Holy crap. I know you're a tennis fan. I know you're a Seahawks fan. Yes. Um, go Mariners, go Sounders, go Rain, go Kraken. Uh, Mariners, come on. I, I'm pulling for them. You know that, but it, it's, they're making it difficult. They're making it difficult. Um, okay. One thing for me in movies, you know, I, I love movies. I love entertainers. I love watching anything that's quality, Yeah, <clears throat> but I am ultra man. I'm picky on a baseball movie. It drives me crazy to watch Hollywood try to make a movie. And I'm like, what are you going to do? Put tobacco in everybody's mouth. And Oh, that's what big league players do. And, and I pick it apart. I, I think that's pr- probably natural. Anything that's done, yeah. at, you know, as a, you know, your occupation, you're always going to be, well, that's not real. That's not real. Drives me crazy. I think Bull Durham was done well. I think it's most realistic what the minor leagues is like. Of course, if you've got an hour, I can break down every idiosyncrasy that's not correct. But no, overall, I thought it was good. I thought it was entertaining. Yeah. The thing with the, the actors is they don't move right all the time. Like that shortstop, he doesn't move like a big league shortstop. So how are you going to sell that to the audience? What I tend to not realize is nobody in the audience knows that's not how he's supposed to move, unless it's really bad, you know, because other sports, it doesn't bother me, the movies, but baseball in particular. What's a great. Did did you like Moneyball? I liked Moneyball. Yeah. Well, there were some big leaguers like the shortstop was uh, Royce Clayton who played in the big leagues for 10 years. He was a shortstop for the A's, which he never was, but in that movie he was. I thought I thought the story was great, and I've had a lot of guys from Moneyball on. Uh, they said, we thought the story was great. That lived it, you know, that were A's at the time. And they said, yeah, we thought it was great, but this was wrong, this was wrong, this was wrong. But that's, that's the entertainment value. It's like you got to fudge a little bit to make a good story. I get that. Yes, I enjoyed – uh, the Moneyball story, because that was 2002, and the A's chased us down that year and, and went to the playoffs. Well, what what's a baseball movie that you're like, boy, they did not get any of that right? Any of them except for uh, Bull Durham for me. Okay. I, didn't, I didn't like any of them. Oh, I love Bad News Bears. Yes. They got that right. That's my I- favorite. Uh, that masterpiece and that movie could never get made. <laughs> Joel, do you re- do you remember a movie called uh, Mr. Baseball with Tom Selleck? Takes takes place. 
he was a Japanese player. He, he was a star in the, in the United States, but he was getting to the end of his career. He had to go to Japan to play and finish his career. And it was the story how. Yeah, I've know. never seen it. I remember this, but. Okay. So I'm, a, I'm in college. I'm at USC. And a guy named Doug DeSenses, who was the third baseman for the Angels for years, he's retired now. And they put him in charge of this movie, getting the talent for the movie. So I oh. get a phone, I get a phone call. He's like, Brett, would you, you know, I'm, I just signed, I think, I think I'm an A-ball. And he says, uh, they're shooting a movie at, at USC. We'll pay you 200 bucks a day. They just need the, the players in the middle infield to look professional. I said, 200 bucks a day. Yeah, we'll pay for this. And I said, yeah, I'm in. So I go down to USC. Frank Thomas is a rookie in the big leagues at that time. He's the star. Him and Selleck are the two stars. Frank Thomas doesn't know me. I know Frank Thomas because he just won the rookie of the year. I'm an A-ball. He has no clue. So I'm taking ground balls at short, and I got this director. And this is why I brought up the director. He's got an attitude. Oh, no. And he's telling me how the play should look. Okay. And I'm looking at him like this. Well, not fucking guy. This freaking guy. He's got no clue on how to turn a double play. I got him yelling at me. I got Frank Thomas yelling because we're out of sync on turning this double play. And it's a double play scene. I come out after I got Tom Selleck walking around with spikes on thinks he's actually a big leaguer. Oh no. So I've got the, all these bad feelings going on and I go up to DeSensei's after the first day of shooting. I take my uni off. I give it to him. I give him all the stuff. I said, you can take this extra job. And, and you know what I said, Walked off the set, never did it again because it drove me so crazy. I got Tom Selleck, an actor, pretending that he's a big leaguer for real. I got a director that's got no clue about what he's talking about, telling me how to turn a double play. And I got Frank Thomas, the rookie of the year, yelling at me because we're out of sync. I don't need this. So that was my experience on set with a director in did a baseball see, movie. Did you see Frank Thomas? Have you seen him since? Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, it, it was funny years later when we played against each other. You know, this is 90, I believe it's 90 or 91, because Frank's probably two years, two or three years ahead of me getting to the big league. So, yeah, years yeah. later, it was a joke, and it was fine. But and at the time, like, I, I didn't like expect the, anybody to know me. I'm an A-ball, big deal. Yeah, and then he was like, I have these pills that I advertise. That yeah, <laughs> that's great, aren't they? Your manhood. Huh. <laughs> What is that? That is bizarre. Oh, and now they got the uh, the quarterback selling it too. Uh, what's oh, what's his name? Flutie. Flutie. He's yeah, doing it. Yeah, again, I mean, it's I when they first. I think it's called Nugenics. Nugenics, which, which is weird because eugenics is you know a really uh, terrible thing, which is you know a, a pseudoscience <laughs> that the Nazis used. Uh, but now it's called Nugenics. Okay, guys. Uh, and it's all this, uh, the innuendos in those commercials are really, well, it's great because your, your, your girlfriend or your wife will like it too. And Frank winks and gives you that, you know, that, that tooth that sparkles in the, in a commercial. It's great. Yeah. When the girl, the girls are like, you're not a real man, this guy. And I was like, well, yeah, it's Frank Thomas. (laughs) She'll, she'll like it too. He's a, he's like. Seven two. He's gigantic. He's a perfect. He's pro athlete. Anyway, yeah. Boy could break. It is does there any... work though. My erections are terrific. That they're awesome. Uh, is there a is there a sports story that you would make into a movie that hasn't been told that in your brain go this would be a really cool story? 
sports story. Boy, this is why I am not the uh, person that imagines these things. Uh, I, boy, I don't know. Uh, that's a really good question. Uh, boy, I, I'm going to say, give me a second. Why, do you think there's a sports story that could be turned into a movie? I'll be here all week, Joel. Uh, no, I, I, I don't, that's the, that's the entertainer side of me. That is the reason that I'm, I was a baseball player. I guess I am an entertainer. Maybe the, the Black Sox and how they got, you know, that whole scandal. Maybe that. Yeah. I, I tend to enjoy, I, I like the football stories because I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm not sitting there picking apart every move they make. Cause I'm like, Oh, that's probably how it is. Yeah. I mean, I uh, love golf. I love like. Bagger Vance. I love uh, movies like that about golf because I, I love golf. Golf is oh. my one thing away from baseball that if there's a big golf tournament, it's my favorite thing to watch on TV. Bar none. Bar f football, basketball, anything. Golf. I'll watch golf all day long. So Yeah, I mean, I watched that Serena uh, Williams, Venus Williams movie. That was really good. Uh, that was really well done and, and they got the tennis right in that definitely. Uh I think movies like North Dallas 40 was an amazing football movie. Uh, that then, Those uh, are good, though, because they're not really necessarily serious. They're, yeah, or they're, slap, slap right. Slapshot's tremendous. Tremendous. Yeah, and I think, you know, like Caddyshack has gone down in it, it's I think it is the most popular sports movie of all time uh, because it just keeps it keeps on having a life uh, for the life, you know, it's like Rocky Horror Picture Show where people put it on, you know, and it just, it goes and just will, you know, it's a train that's never going to stop. Uh, Rockies, all the Rockies. Yeah. I mean, obviously the, yeah, Rockies are great. I mean, not all of them, but they got better and then they got really bad. Uh, <laughs> Rock, Rock, uh, Rocky five is not great. Um, I think, yeah, it's a good, yeah, it's a really good question. I mean, there's been, there's really crappy movies about sports and really great ones. And, you know, it comes down to, uh, is there a good director and a good writer and and all that stuff? Because, like, you loved Bull Durham, but you knew they got a lot of the, you know, a lot of the uh, sports wrong. I mean, it's like you look at something like Teen Wolf and Michael J. Fox is playing basketball, and he's clearly not a basketball player. He's a great hockey player, ironically, uh, but he was not a good basketball player in his day. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. I'm trying to think of like something, you know, I think that last dance, I mean, that's not a movie, but it was in incredibly well done. I agree. Uh, and it, it was perfectly put together and really sure. I mean, so, uh, boy, I mean, I, I even thought that basketball was funny. Obviously that's, uh, very, that, but those are the uh, South Park guys. Uh, I think. I mean, I think that, I mean, there was funny. So I don't know. Uh, boy, it's good. It's a good question. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, I, lo I, I love the. I love that you brought up Last Dance. I thought it was great because I could sit there and listen to the greatest basketball player ever talk candidly. Yeah, and it's it's not one of those where oh you're awful full of yourself. It's like no, that's real. They got one of Bonds coming out. I can't wait to watch it. Jeter's got a little bit of critique. The captain. I watched it 
I watched it uh, start to finish. I thought it was well done too. And I really liked, uh, there was a cool side of Jeter that I thought nobody, you know, you don't get to see Jeter's pretty good. He's close to the best, but it kind of opened him up a little bit. I thought it was cool seeing a little more personality from him. I, I love stuff like that. The documentaries where they just sit down and, you know, whatever it may be. I'm really looking forward to the bomb. Yeah, that, I, I like stuff like that. I mean, that team, I mean, I, I, I think I was one of the only people ever to wear a Mariner hat to Yankee Stadium and – and root for the Mariners while the, you guys were playing. Uh, to me, that New York team was as legendary as the Seattle team, as far as names go. And it might right. have also been the time I was, you know, I didn't have kids. I, yeah, I, we, I was in my 20s, so I was in, seriously invested. And uh, so I, you know, I count those days as like these amazing glory days of baseball in Seattle in the 90s and early two thousands. But, uh, yeah, you forget that you don't forget, but like Jeter was like the King of New York. I mean, that guy couldn't walk down, you couldn't walk down the street. And, uh, so, uh, it was, yeah. Who would have, what a great time. I mean, those times happen over and over and then, or happen to other cities. And obviously with the Seahawks winning the Super Bowl and being as great as they were for as many years, it was, glory days and so i boy i love all that stuff and even i got i was so mad when the sonics got sold and i was living in i was living in i was living here and the lakers were so good and people like you a lakers fan now i'm like i I, no and they were like well who's your team oklahoma i'm like no and then of course i pretty much became a lakers fan and i've gotten some i got to know Shaq a little bit and i'm like i love you guys Fuck it. Yeah, I'm a Lakers fan. I don't know when a team's coming back, but until then, go Lakers. Uh, but yeah, we, we we live. So when I know as as Americans, we complain about everything. Rightfully so. We have a lot to complain about. But uh, when they dig us up, they're going to look back on how much we loved our sports and how much we loved our, you know, entertainment and stuff like that. And so just to be like you said, like being out on that field like two weeks ago, I was like, cannot believe I'm this is so great and can't believe I'm here and I can't believe and a ball just rolled right by me and <laughs> boom gave me a stink eye like I can I was like that that look could have just lasered through a battleship it was, it was so great I, I after that I, I was like well you better get a home run here and make up for this so you did. I'll tell you, you guys were good. I was shocked more than anybody about that because I'll be honest, I'm sitting there, I'm in the locker room. You know, we had that pregame and now we're up, you know, taking pictures with the belt and all that stuff. And I'm, I'm really thinking, all right, uh, Zach Levine, he's, he's going to be fine. You know, I, I knew kind of how the, right. Everybody, I didn't realize everybody was going to do that well. I mean, and I went into it, I got on the field and they're asking me a question. I said, well, this sounded like a great idea two months ago now that I'm here. And actually we have a pretty good crowd. They expect I, and I'm leading off for us and I'm going to Cameron sitting there. Tell me, Buddha, you you have to hit a homer. I said, well, they kind of expect me to, but now I'm feeling a little bit of pressure in a softball game. But by the end of the game, and we ended up winning by the way, for those that, that missed our, our great, uh, show a couple of weeks ago we we ended up winning 21 19 <laughs> and at the end of the game i could genuinely say 
I could genuinely smile and said, that was kind of fun. And I didn't expect it to be fun. It was entertaining. I thought the, the, the non-baseball players, football, basketball, I think everybody did great. The YouTuber was unbelievable. He came out of nowhere. And I'm just going, wow, these guys were a lot better than I thought. And I actually had a good time. And I didn't think I was going to say that. I mean, and that I mean, when each inning was like eight runs a piece, it was, yeah. I was like, oh, is the audience getting bored? <laughs> they loved it. Did you walk, did you have any fans come up to you and say, comment on the softball game? Because I was there the next couple of days doing all the, the media stuff. And I had fans come to me and say, you know, we went for the futures game to watch the, the, the young kids yeah. and you know we stayed for the softball game and to be honest with you we had no idea what to expect yeah and it, it was really entertaining that was a lot of fun I said that's the same reaction I had I didn't know what to expect I ended up having a, like a good time legitimate good time yeah. and I'm not just saying that there was a, there was a lot I did the Dodger one the year before yeah and bad bunny was in it yeah who's and he's like he's got like 47 million instagram followers and they almost sold out the place dodger stadium and and we we were all there and i was like what's happening yeah. uh and i mean i, I mean uh what is it t-mobile was i mean it was there was a yeah there was a shit ton of people i couldn't believe it and i was like i mean i can believe it but it was like wow this is that the, and latin two weeks ago was so special because i was like i'm in my hometown in my hometown stadium i'm playing baseball with these legends that I grew up with. There's freaking Bobby Wagner, who's back on the Seahawks. Yeah. And of course, every time, like anybody who wants, like, Joel, can I get JoJo Siwa's uh, autograph? <laughs> and I'd be like, let me go ask. I'll see what JoJo says. Go she is she guy. is 20. Yeah. Uh, and she did well. She, she did well. There weren't too many, and, and the people that did, there was very few, didn't do well. They will, they'll remain unnamed. Uh, but for the most part, I, I was overly impressed with the, the quality. There was a couple yeah. plays made. We we're a little shabby in the field. Yeah, but and then there was These that boys guy. were raking. They were hitting. Yeah, and then there was the guy uh, who won the contest to be Yeah, the- Dwayne. Dwayne, what I think delight. was What a delightful person. Yeah, it, 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 thinking you were excited to be there. That's your home, your your, your home city, uh, team you've watched a ton. Yeah, and you're on the field. Imagine that guy. He's getting he's getting to hang out with Joel McHale. I got, I thought the umps. I was like, guys, let us play. There was a couple of things like, oh, you didn't tag. I was like, you didn't tag the bag. I'm like, what are you guys? <laughs> it's only five innings. It's an exhibition. Yeah, I was like, what are you guys? I get it. You're you're major league umps, but this is a celebrity game. She hit the bag. Come on. And like, they called the what's her name? Natasha. One of the she's a she was an Olympic softball player. They were like, Hey, you didn't oh. hit didn't hit third when you uh hit your home run. I'm like, what the Yeah, Watley. Watley was her name. Yeah. She was a sweetheart too, by the way. Uh I yeah, I had a lot of fun. Uh, I love it. Tino obviously is a fan. You're a fan of Tino. Tino came up. He was just ahead of me coming to the Mariners, went on to New York. Yeah. And you talk about those great venues. You know, I, I can't tell people. I've been disappointed more times than most at Yankee Stadium in the postseason. They whooped us when I was at the Braves in 99. Seattle, obviously, they broke our heart in 2001. But you're right. Those, and for me, we're having tomorrow, uh, 
David Cohn's coming on. And, you know, I'm reading his byline, and the first thing I see is five-time World Series champion. And you're like. And I'm like, it's unbelievable. I was at the game and uh, during that or during the All-Star week. Uh, I got to catch up with Tino. He was in town. And Jeff Nelson. And they both have four rings from their run. I think Tino, Tino might have five. No, Tino's got four. But I, I heard them talking about it, And it makes you kind of look back to that to that time and you're right that yankee team they were together for about you know they had that core together for five six maybe eight years and then they had a lot of parts that they would add to it every single year but that group uh, i had all the respect in the world for that group what they did on the field i couldn't stand them yeah but man were they good and and it only comes i mean they won they won in 1998, 1999, and two. They went back to back to back. And, and once in a while, I'll talk to one of those guys on that team. I said, do you realize how special that was and how ridiculous it is? The rest of us trying to just win one, and you're going back to back to back. Pretty pretty awesome stuff. Yeah, man. and of course, the fans in New York are like, oh, we couldn't win in 2001. Right. <laughs> It's unbelievable. It. It's unbelievable. You do a podcast, the darkest timeline. There's well, a zil. We used to. We oh, we you're not doing it anymore. No, okay. we haven't done it for a couple of years. We used to. Ken and I did it during the pandemic, and uh, it was because mo- Ken's a doctor, uh, and so we would spend the first thirty minutes of the podcast just talking about. That was before any vaccines. Before it, it was just everyone was learning everything. So we would just be like. Here's what I learned, and here's what you learned, and let's talk about it for half an hour, and then we would bring a guest on. It was really fun. A million podcasts out there. What makes a good podcast? Uh, the clothes. I think how you dress, yeah. the makeup, the hair. As you can see, I've really spent my time getting ready for this one. Uh, no, I, I don't know. I mean, you know, it's magic in a bottle, and Ken and I had a great time. Uh, and I, well, Ken and I, I think we genuinely liked each, we generally like each, genuinely like each other. And, and that helped, that helps. We are very, we were very interested in the subject matter. And so that was, uh, that, that also helped. And we were inviting our, it was mostly entertainment friends, but, uh, like we ended up talking to Shaq for like an, like 90 minutes. And that was really cool. And we went, we did a deep dive and, uh, that was really fun. And then, uh, yeah, that it was, yeah, it was just that, that wild time during the pandemic when we were like, what's happening? What are we doing? And so of course, Ken and I being the maniacs that we are, since nobody was working, we're like, like, well, let's do our podcast. And sadly we both got super busy and, uh, we should have stuck with it probably because we would have our, you know, the Joel and Ken private jet company. Wait, kidding. No. Uh, but, you know, you get like that. What is it? The, uh, you know, Will Arnett and Sean Hayes and uh, Jason Bateman's podcast is, you know, it's fantastic. Or uh, Dak Shepard's is, you know, like that. there's you just never know what's going to make it. If I knew it, I could to make a great one because I've thought about going back and doing more. But uh, of doing, you know, something like that. But uh, I'm uh, my ADHD is too, uh, you know, scrambling for me to focus on anything for more than you know, 10 minutes. It's great. Well, I'm glad, you know, today it was a special one because we, not only do we get Joel McHale, but we got Gaylord Perry as well. And Gaylord I mean, Perry. I've sure. been trying to get him for a while. For putting Vaseline on the balls. 
<laughs> whatever. whatever. Joe McHale, I appreciate you coming on the Boone podcast. This was a lot of fun. And I let's go uh, to, uh, let's go to uh, Knife in Dana Point and get a steak. John Tesla. I love it. No, I'd love to do it. Stay in touch. I appreciate it. all all uh, all the success success in the world to you going forward. Well, but thanks. I- Let's hope the strike ends soon and uh, everybody gets, you know, what they want. And and, and I think I did a pretty good job today with staying away yeah, you from, did a great job. from from uh, topics that we're not supposed to talk about. I know all about strikes. I, w- I was on strike in 94. We get a World Series canceled. We came back. But no, I in a, on a serious note, I appreciate you coming on. It's a lot of fun for all you listening to the Boone podcast or watching the Boone podcast out there. I appreciate you watching and listening. We'll see you next time.